Welcome to Sunday Chats, the podcast where you can listen back to interviews that were first broadcast on All FM 96.9. All FM is a community radio station and I'm one of its presenters and producers. I'm Ruth O'Reilly and I love to interview brand new authors about what they've been up to, what they're currently writing and their writing process. On today's show, I'll be talking to the fantastic sci-fi comedian and author, Philip Carter, who's just wrote this brand new book called Who Built the Humans, which is a masterpiece of a book. It's 47 stories in 11 universes, all in one book. It's a mixture of poetry, short story, and choose your own adventure. So there's lots of different ways to read this book. Very exciting, very clever techniques that Philip's used. So I'll be talking to Philip about his writing inspirations and his love of David Bowie. So we'll start off with one of Philip's favourite tracks from David Bowie right now. Enjoy. Thank you. 
welcome to All FM. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, it's nice to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. You know, since the um, lockdown first started last year, I really kind of got into quantum physics. And uh, I think that's kind of because, you know, our whole sense of reality has changed so much. So when I saw this little masterpiece of multiverses that you've written, I thought we've, we've got to uh, have a chat to you about it. Who built the humans? That's your brand new book. And it's a perfect question for these times, isn't it? Yeah, um, unfortunately, it's not actually officially answered at any point in the book. I offer multiple answers, so technically there's no answer to it, because I thought it's such a heavy title that mm. if I try to propose any answer to it and claim it's legitimate, I'll accidentally create a new religion, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, it, stranger things have happened. We are in this uh, weird period of time but you describe this novel as um, a fragment this book sorry as a fragmented novel haven't you you've kind of coined a new term there yeah it's um it's a hybrid between a novel a short story collection and a poetry collection so i was a poet before i was a novelist and the same sensibilities have been uh, brought over so okay. there's 47 short stories in the book mm -hmm. and they happen across 11 universes mm and no two stories from the same universe meet up in the pages so if you're reading from front to back you get something from universe one universe four universe five you'll never get one one or two two okay so in that way it's sort of arranged like a poetry collection but i still class it as a novel because there is a coherent sort of secret 48 story happening above everything else wow there's so much going on with uh, with this book it's amazing you know obviously people have short attention spans these days so it works very well if you're wanting to just kind of like dip into um a short story kind of thing stroke poem but but what what I actually like about what you've done with this is it's a little bit like um, choose how you're going to direct the, your story because you can go from from one short story with a link to an, another story, can't you? Which gives it more of a, a novel-esque feeling, like a choose yeah. your own adventure. Yeah, so the, um, there is 15 definitely poems in it, which are sort of as long as short stories, but there's a lot of alliteration in them. So I'm going to call them poems because I wrote them, so I'm allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm the author. <laughs> so so there's, there's some of them. So at the end of it, it says something like, to feel the final bite, bite of shame at the end of time, turn to page 121. Um, if the universe ends and it's all your fault, turn to 263. So there's sort of like a build your own adventure novel inside that. And when I thought about writing the book, it was about two years ago when I started it. Okay. And I thought, I want to write short stories that, I want to write a novel that people could read on the train, put it down, and not feel lost when they come back to it. <laughs> okay. Ironically, 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 the train <laughs> journeys are a bit yeah. in short supply right now, yeah. but hey. The outside world got cancelled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did did yeah. you predict that in, in any of your multiverses? Did you predict any viruses or any other weirdness? I did predict a virus. Um, okay. It was a little bit more doom and gloom than this one. I predicted a virus that turned people stupid and convinced us to melt all the ice caps with flamethrowers. And that's oh. about how <laughs> but when you said that turned all of us stupid, I thought, I think you're, you're going on the right track there, that you, you did um, prophesize correctly. <laughs> One yeah. of the things that I, that I liked about this as well is um, you say that 
everything is non-reality now, except from the years 1947 to 2016. Oh yeah, that's just um, one of the universes in ah, the book. Okay. I've got a little Easter egg to David Bowie's life in that one because uh, it connects to a novel that I'm writing which comes out in about a year or two okay um, where, where the protagonist is a David Bowie fan so that universe um there's a little joke that there's a time loop and the two dates are David Bowie's birth and death and that's just a little easter egg which ah, actually I was okay. going to keep hidden but now you've asked it's not hidden anymore. Oh no. Which is oh, great. No. In, in one universe, in the other universes, it's hidden. This is only one aspect. But it, it's a nice yeah. song to bring up D David Bowie, really, because, you know, this is the, the month of his birth and, and his yeah. death. So, so it's a good month. And, you know, it, have you found that David Bowie has been like one of your big inspirations then for all this sci fi um, writing that you do? Yeah, at times I've thought he's been my only influence. It's until you look deeper. So I, I studied creative writing at university a few years ago. Okay. Um, when I was asked for a bibliography to write, you know, who's your biggest influence as a writer? I wrote David Bowie mm. uh, and Gary Newman and Frankie Boyle and somebody was like, well, they're not exactly literary, inf literary influences. And I just thought, why not? Mm. It's interesting because, you know, they, they do say yeah. that every song um, lyric it can be like poetry in a way. So so it is interesting. What was the response that you got from that when you um, when you noted David Bowie as your influence? I think the knee jerk reaction was that people thought maybe I wasn't that well read, which could be true, um, but I wouldn't admit it live. <laughs> <laughs> no, never um, admit I to just, anything on your genius. I've got to be honest, as an author, I prefer listening to music than reading. I prefer writing to reading, which is when I do it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so that, that's yeah. the paradox is that you, sometimes you don't have the time to read all of the things that have ever came out, especially the classics, because there's loads of them, especially as time moves forward, there's going to be more and more of them. History just keeps piling up. Of course. And then it's like re-adaptation after re-adaptation. But yeah. I, I had um, another author on a couple of months ago, and um, he was like telling me about how it was just a, a couple of song lyrics to a, a Kate Bush track that like really kicked off his imagination for for a short story. So sometimes song lyrics can be quite inspiring. Definitely, and they, because they're shorter as well, they stick in to your head better. Yeah, and they're easily easily digestible, especially. In, these times where the human attention spans getting less and less and less. Yes, exactly. I mean, that was the first thing that I thought when I saw this 47 short stories, 11 distinct universes and 15 poems. I thought, wow, this is perfect for anyone that doesn't have, doesn't feel they've, they've got the time to go right through to a, a novel. Is Who yeah. Built the, the Humans your first novel? Or um, book? It's my first, first published novel, yeah. Okay. Um, so I've written a few before. I wrote one a few years ago at university called The Stephanie Glitch, and that was about somebody going through different universes to find the original reality because she decided she lived in a simulation. Um, she dies, finds out that she's actually correct. She does live in a simulation and then tries to find the original universe. Mm. Um, so and she's chasing the time traveling poet at the same time. So there's a lot of things going on in that one. But I decided in about 2016, I, don't actually, I didn't actually have the skills to 
bring the idea onto paper. So I thought I'm going to just leave it alone for a few years. I'm actually only starting writing it again now that Who Built the Humans is done because I feel like he looked Who Built the Humans has made me a better writer so I can re-attack the Stephanie glitch, which is nice because they sort of connect together in a weird way, which I can't spoil without ruining the premise. Right. Yeah. Oh no, I don't want you to go too much in, into too much yeah. depth um, about that. I I can see that. I, I actually thought that um, that Stephanie was touched in in this book, but she's not. Then it's a separate. Yeah, she does. She does make a cameo appearance near the end. The first um, few pages from her novel is one of the short stories in Who Got the Humans. So and the then connect <clears throat> connection is foreshadowed. Ah, okay. And and am I right in thinking that Stephanie is the one that she's a, a teenager? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, you're kind of touching on a lot of teenage angst and that and giving it a new spin. Yeah, based on my own experiences, really. Um, so that's why she's a David Bowie fan, because he's her biggest influence as well as mine. Mm. Um, and and I, like, up until that point, I rarely wrote from personal experience. I sort of turned to sci-fi as an escapism. Mm. And then I realised like, when I graduated, you know, I've had experiences, I exist. Why don't I write about that like everybody else does? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really also when you first start to, you know, when you first decide that you're going to get into writing, that's always what they say to you, isn't it? Oh, write about what, what you know and, and all that kind of thing. It's the first kind of lesson. Yeah, that's, that's the weird thing about me. It's like, um, I've got maybe 11 fans online for the book. <laughs> and, and they well, all think I'm um... endlessly fascinating, but I'm really not. I, mean, I find that so Instagram. funny. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, you kind of like say you've got these uh, 11 um, fans. You, yeah, you've, probably got lots more, <laughs> you've probably got lots more than that, but you don't really realise. Because you've, you've built up this um, extensive website, haven't you, for your your book oh yeah that is that was a bit of, that was a lot of fun a lot of people say you know if you're a self-published author one the first piece of advice is don't self-publish because everything self-published is terrible which i disagree with some of my favorite stories about people who are not published yeah i mean that's what um, i've been mainly trying trying to to do recently you know contact the 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 indie authors and see what their writing process has been and um, how they found it promoting their book and and stuff like that because uh, obviously um before the world ended as, as you would say from, from the virus yeah um it, people used to go to open mics and kind of you know they'd be like and, and here's this book that i've self-published and stuff but now all that's kind of been taken away i missed that because i have stickers promoting the uh pre-orders of who built the humans and i've just stick them on people's foreheads <laughs> <laughs> but but keep the stickers, you know. Yeah, keep the stickers. Yeah. They'll probably say um, you're not allowed now because of the, the 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 virus or whatever. But maybe those stickers can go on face masks or visors somewhere. Yeah, I had thought about branded face masks actually, but then I, I had this moment of clarity where I, I realised I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> I've been sat here for three hours designing custom face masks. Why don't I just write a story? Yeah, you know, it just got so surreal. Maybe it's another it? business on the side yeah. of all this, but but you never know. I I was watching you on on YouTube, um, doing your your poem as astrologist, and um, you had these three D glasses, and I thought that maybe they were part of your promo. 
Oh yeah, I completely forgot the book cover is 3D. <laughs> oh right. Oh excellent. Oh, yeah, wow. it took me a, um, another piece of advice people gave me is don't design your own book cover, and I said no, I'm going to do it. And it took me <laughs> 150 drafts, 150 drafts, but I managed to get it to be 3D. So if anybody's got a pair of 3D glasses lying around, then they can stare at the book cover. If they don't feel like reading it, you can just stare at the cover. So they say never judge a book by its cover, but you've got the cover there as a, yet another experience just in itself. Yeah, that's that's why I wanted to self-publish because I had this vision for it and I thought nobody else is going to. They won't even allow me to do half of the stuff I want to do, so I'm going to do it myself. Mm. Because I if that's... I pitched it, somebody would go, oh, why, would the, why do you need the cover to be free, Dave? Because it's cool. That's not a good enough reason. <laughs> well, I think it's good. Yeah. If, it's, if it's grabbing people's attentions, then it's um, a good enough reason. So, I mean, is, is the book available in, in shops then? Is it going to like be on shelves where people can actively check this out? Or is it only available online at the moment? It's been made eligible for retail distribution, but I don't think a lot of the chains are even bothering getting it into brick and mortar stores at the moment because, well, none of them are open. Yeah. Um, it's available through Amazon, and I get not very much out of it through Amazon. Thanks, Amazon. Oh, God, um, but yeah. It's also available through my website where I, got, I get quite a hefty cut out of it. So I prefer people to go to the website. It's www www.whobuildahumans.com, three W's, not two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's in another universe where, we, where we've only got websites with, with two W's. So, yeah. so, that's the, so that's the best way you really want people to go to your website to, to buy this book. And you've done a podcast for it as well, so you're doing lots of different promo, aren't you? Yeah, um, my mo main motivator is that if I'm left alone for five minutes, I'll get so bored, I'll probably make a new Instagram account. So... How many Instagram accounts so far? I always have to do something. So there's an official Instagram account called Who Built the Humans okay. where I do a giveaway for every 500 new followers. Right, nice. I've got 50 at the moment, but that's fine because the giveaway started at zero followers. Um, and I'm going to announce who's won that tonight, I think. It was meant to be last night, but I was preparing for this. Okay. So I completely forgot. Um, but, I'm <laughs> but I'm sure nobody will mind. So I'm giving away a paperback copy of the book with a poster. And 3D glasses and a bookmark for every 500 followers on Instagram. So you've got videos. posters done, you've got the book cover designed, you've got 3D glasses. You, you've been doing really well with, with the promo. I think this is great kind of um, inspiration for, for indie authors about different ways to um, actually publicise their book, really. Yeah, I think a lot of the time. Um, people go running towards agencies and say, can you help me do this? And they don't really know what, how they want to advertise. Mm. For me, it was as soon as the book was done, I thought, I'm so bored, I could probably just shut down and die. <laughs> I need to do something right now. I need to do something before I slide away into another universe. So I thought, right, I'm going to make bookmarks because the book's quite heavy and I don't have any bookmarks. So I now have 200 bookmarks in my bedroom. For some reason, I'm using a shoelace at the moment. Wow. Um, that badly organised. But, but you know, I you think know, you do need a lot of bookmarks for this. You could have a bookmark for each story, just in between each story, just so that, you know, for, for ease of use around this book to help you navigate <laughs> yourself around the book. So, yeah, yeah. sounds like a, a, a good idea. It's a difficult thing getting the author to talk about it because, you know, I was, I'm in behind the scenes of the process, so I know about all the 
clever stuff under the hood of the book, all the machinery underneath it. Mm. But but really, I've I've been told it is quite an easy read, and somebody told me through Goodreads that it's the first book he's read in four years that he's actually got through and enjoyed. Wow! Now that, that is a compliment. Yeah, that's what I want is to make a book that isn't like any of the other books at the moment. Something that is enjoyable and you can get through it. <laughs> it's a book with a difference. It definitely is, and you have had some amazing reviews there on on Goodreads. Um, there was somebody else that said that it was like a an educational book, but way more fun or something like that. Oh yeah, she said that it makes you feel smarter at the end of it, which I think is the biggest compliment because. You know, I love science, I love science fiction, and mm. um, especially science fiction written by people who come from a scientific background. So one of my favourite books is Sun by David Eagleman, who's a neuroscientist. Oh, wow. And that's um, 40 tales from different afterlives that he's imagined. Um, that was one of my biggest inspirations when it came to realising that what I had envisioned was actually possible. Okay. So did you think of your idea before you saw that book then? Yeah, I pitched the idea of Who Built the Humans at University and a lecturer recommended some to me. Okay. Um, so I picked that up from Amazon as soon as I could. Well, I've just accidentally promoted Amazon. <laughs> did you ever, um, did, did you study science as well or was it creative writing was your main um, focus? I did physics in school and I did really well at it and then I went into college and failed physics so I went from getting like an A star without putting much effort in to getting a U after putting a load of effort in and I thought what's happened and I had a like a chat with my teacher in college and he said well you have told me you're writing a novel instead of revising and I said yeah but I didn't think it'd take up that much time, and unfortunately they did, they take a lot of time, mm. and I thought, right, I need to get into writing. I didn't originally bother to even apply for university, because I thought, well, at the time when I was in college, I wasn't having a great time, and I thought, I'm just going to write stories to make my life more interesting. Okay. And then, you know, improve my quality of life, and I write funny stuff that just make myself laugh. And then eventually I thought, actually, you know what? The world needs go to, to read uni. these. <laughs> I'm going to go to, no, I wasn't quite at that point. I thought, <laughs> okay. I'm going to go to university because I'm tired of working at Primark. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to move off the government. I'm going to pretend I'm smart. And I'm going to continue doing that until they tell me I'm, I have to stop. So I wound up getting a master's degree in creative writing because I didn't quite want to go home yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was, that's a good excuse. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, that that that's amazing, but I I love how easy it seems to come to you to to write these stories. Did you always think that it would be based around the the sci-fi world then, or did you want to explore any other avenues? I've tried writing romance before, but I've just made I made myself cringe so much that I actually died and astral projected into this <laughs> universe where I had to start a new life. Okay. So, I, I can't do it. I've, I've tried writing straight, you know, just straight comedy as well, just stand-up material, mm. and I, I can't quite get it. I do want to try stand-up at some point in my life. I've done it once before, and I was terrible, um, and everybody in the audience can vouch for that fact. But um, I'd like to try it again one day. I think Hugo the Humans has really been my way of gaining confidence in 
my own sense of humour. And, you know, having people write reviews and say it's funny. Yeah, because it, it has got that humorous uh, element in it. So it's got real science in it as well as your humour. Some real science um, mm. and then quite a lot of speculative stuff. So mm -hmm. there's a bit about simulation of theory, and I don't worry about how big a computer would need to be to run the simulation. I just talk about the philosophical implications of what if we were inside a computer. Mm. Have so, you ever read any of the work of Anthony Peake? Because he talks a lot about us being a, living in a simulated universe. I recognise the name. That's science books, isn't it? I'm really bad with names. I'm awful at them. Yeah, well, I mean, he's actually interviewed some some people that have, you know, they've got these memories that seem to really point in the direction of there possibly being some kind of truth <laughs> to to that. So that's, that's yeah. quite interesting. Um, you know, it no, just I means. I definitely do have. I def sorry, I de definitely do have an auntie. I'm still upstairs on a bookcase now, but I'm very busy. <laughs> well, so I'm really bad with names. No, no, that, that's absolutely fine. No, no, it's just kind of like I, I've got into some of, of his work during this because, like, as I've said, I thought this is like the perfect time to um, like research the the unrealness of, of everything. So, And I think that's where this book will really find a new audience. You know, it's it fits the state of mind, I think, that we're in right now. It's just, you know, we've just kind of like been waiting for this but yeah, yeah i mean like touching on your stand-up comedy I, I really liked when um you said that you came to this point where you realized that you didn't really have to choose between stand-up comedy and poetry you could find a way of doing both yeah i've sort of put myself in a state of depression for quite a lot of my life creatively where i thought i have to either do one thing or the other so when i was at university i thought right i have to sit here I have to be well behaved and I was terrible at it. Mm. I was really, really bad um, to the point where I think looking back, I probably wouldn't like watching myself because there was times when I had to be the class clown and it's really out of, if a joke appears in my head, whether or not it's good, if I don't say it, I'll feel like I'm about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, you know, half the time they're not any good. The trick I've found is to carry a notebook around with me all the time because, you know, the one out of a hundred times I write something that's actually worth publishing, I can write it down instead of forgetting about it. Yeah, I was going to say, does that help? If you write it instead of saying it, does that ease off some of the explosive tendency in any way? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, it God. just eases, slows it down. But um, I think a lot of writers, especially like independent authors that I've spoken to, have said, you know, how, how do you write so many stories so quickly? And the fact is that I'm not any better than anybody else. In fact, I'd probably say I'm below average when it comes to writing speed um, okay. compared to people that I know. The trick is just have an notebook. Yeah. Because most, most of the people I know, like I talked to somebody on Facebook the other day and she said, I've had this idea for a story and I won't say what the story is, obviously. No. I said, that's a really good idea. And four days later, she messages me saying, I've not had any ideas for stories in months. And I was like, yeah, you have. You told me on Facebook the other day. Yeah, this it's, is it. It's sort of like, they're like daydreams ideas. So we, we forget them. We forget them yeah. so easily. And I think that that's what you're doing. You're not actually, I wouldn't agree that you're above, um, below average, sorry. You, you're above average just for the fact that you're capturing your ideas a lot quicker and then you write them down and, and develop them a bit more. So I think that's amazing.
Yeah, I walk around with um, a small spear all the time, so I, I skewer a lot of riders when they're just floating around. They need to be captured. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's, it's really easy for them to go missing. And especially, like, I don't know, I, I'm pretty much at the start here, but pe people come to me for advice now sometimes, which is surreal. Mm. Um, so I'm going to use this brief platform to give a little bit of writing advice to anybody who might be listening, because I'm going to encourage my Instagram followers to look at it. The original pitch for Who Will the Humans was terrible. The first pitch for any book you write will be terrible. It's the story itself that sounds good. Because my first pitch for Who Will the Humans was, I'm going to write a novel that isn't a novel, but is also probably a poetry collection that also might contain stand-up. And to also <laughs> sponsor my new religion called virtualism, in which we all live inside a computer that hates us. And that's not a great pitch. <laughs> It's funny though, it gets you like, you know, the thing is, yeah. um, a poetry book, when you say you're going to write a book of poems, some people kind of switch off a bit, sometimes a poetry book alone doesn't sell quite well, yeah. but when you weave it into all this other stuff that's going on between sci-fi, choose your own adventure and short stories and everything, um, it kind of finds this revival in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, um... I, I struggle to call myself a poet, you know, even though I do write poetry, I don't really consider myself to fit in with the other poets, especially when I go and do stuff on stage, which obviously I'm not allowed to do anymore and I'd like to stay publicly, but I don't go on stage and do anything, please don't find me any money, I haven't been outside in months. Um, <laughs> but, I'm know, surprised you've not been building the stage in, in your house by now. I'd really like to, but yeah, when, whenever I went to open mic nights, um, a, a lot of poets, you know, they're very serious, there's a lot of very politically charged stuff at the moment, and I think that's great, and it's very important, but there is actually a place for society, in society for stupid, ridiculous poems, which is my specialty. Mm. So, we need uh, that, don't we? And we really need it now. We, we're too much depression in, in a January, we, we need these sheer silliness yeah there's too much pressure to uh, keep up with all the news as well and because of how much news there is it's not possible without your head exploding so i'd like to hope who build the humans is some kind of escape from all of that dim and gloom even though there is quite a lot of dim and gloom in it but i find the dim and gloom funny in who build the humans it's ridiculous dim and gloom mm. how many so pages this... <clears throat> how many pages is this because it looks oh. thick it's a thick book isn't it it is it's a real thick boy. It's um, 300 and, I've got it here, 311. Mm. And for ease of access, it has two separate indexes. It has an index at the beginning, which lists all the 47 stories as they appear in the book. And then there's an index at the back that lists all the 47 stories as they appear in their own universes. So it sounds complicated, but there's actually multiple ways to read it. And it's interesting. I've only had, I think, three people have read it so far all the way through. Mm. And each one of them have read it in a different order. So somebody's just read the time travel universe first, which actually, despite being only one of 11 universes, takes up half the word count because that's the most serious sort of introspective science fiction bit. Somebody else has just read the poems. Okay. Um, and then they fit their own order, and somebody else has just read the bit about virtualism, how they all live inside a computer simulation. So it's really interesting to see that it's sort of like, somebody said it's sort of like 11 books hidden in one book, which I, I think, I wish I hired that person to write my pitch. 
Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. I just think that this is, it's, um, it's amazing because it means that you're giving people, every single reader has got their own unique experience of the book. It's not just reading it. It's like it's, it's actual own experience, really. Yeah, it's, it is really surreal because of the size of the book as well. Somebody said, oh, I really like this bit where they talk about the time dragon and there's a time loop and somebody throws a, a necklace back through time. I really like that part. And I just said to them, what that happens? or something <laughs> oh maybe you've channeled some of this maybe some of those aliens or something about for you to to channel some of this even beyond your own knowing but you've got all these interesting topics in there like uh talking crystals who hate anyone that's called susan and time travel as you said and then poets that turn into black holes what's that all about uh, yeah, that's uh, based on a true story, actually. I once knew a guy who was so arrogant and self-absorbed, he turned into a black hole. <laughs> wow. He was just on stage, banging on about how fantastic his poems were, and he just just disappeared up inside himself, done forever. <laughs> so that, that, one was, that one was based on a true story. Um, the one about crystals that hate anybody called Susan, that's actually one of the extracts I sent over to you. Right. Okay. So, okay. So, so we'll get to hear that. I'm oh, looking forward to it. You, you did um, a, you did another poem as well that I was listening to on your podcast. Um, actually, and what I got from that was this feeling that you were giving the short story a, a personality almost. Oh yeah, that one on the short story. I just flipped to that so I can remember it because just a little bit. I think it's called on meaninglessness. So, yeah, I think it did touch on, on meaninglessness. Yeah. But it's about the meaning and meaninglessness, isn't it? No, it's about how, you know, there's some people that say short stories need to be, have a real economy to them. So, you know, you can't have, you can't describe a gun at the start of a story unless somebody's going to shoot it. Or you can't describe a place in great detail unless people are going to visit that place. Um, and it become, I, I realised that it's, it's got to the point now where short stories are so formulaic, what people ask for, that you can pretty much predict what's going to happen right at the end from the first few lines. And like my poem on meaninglessness was a sort of attack against that, where I think you can describe stuff that doesn't become relevant later on, that's fine. And it's a good way to trip up your reader as well, because they might think the story's going in one direction and then mm. you can do a plot twist. That's, that's something that I think, you know, we're in danger of missing. And it was also about how, you know, with humans having less and less attention span, mm. um, that that might dictate the way fiction goes and the way Hollywood movies go, which I think is, we can already probably see Yeah, happening. I think that is happening. Like these little just, short films that you can just watch yeah. on your phone and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, or it's, oh, there's not been an explosion in this movie for the last minute. Let's quick put an explosion in it's almost as if we have to blow cars up to keep the audience awake <laughs> sure sure yeah but i i think the thing that happens sometimes it's, it's a great technique that you're doing there you're creating this thing we get invested in in every, the idea of everything going in one way and then you're quickly reversing and diverting it into something else yeah, I, I really enjoy adding plot twists to the stories. There's some of them in Who Built the Humans which are quite straightforward, like the 23rd story, Once There Were Others, is about aliens in the distant future. 
when there's only so many stars left in the universe, I think about 10,000 stars left in the universe, and they've been arranged in one long line, and that's the whole universe. And these aliens are trying desperately to find traces of an ancient civilization called humans who long ago worked out how to escape the end of the universe. Um, and that's that's pretty much it for that story. It's quite straightforward. And other ones um, aren't straightforward. So people propose the idea they live in a simulation, and it turns out that they actually don't, but we sort of do in a different way. So it's like it's another universe, but not a universe within a universe. Mm. So there's. Have you got any I, ideas I for other universes? So you've thought of eleven so far in in this book. Do you reckon that you could invent some more universes? Yeah, there was 14 originally, and I think 54 stories in Who Got the Humans, but they weren't up to the same quality that the rest were, so I had to have them humanely destroyed. Right, okay. So um, do, do you get yeah. have, have a lot of beta reading going on with this before you've, you, you formulate your book, before you formulated this book, sorry, did you have a lot of beta reading going on, or is it just your, your decision that this isn't the quality? Um, it was my decision at the end. The ones that I put out were actually approved by the beta readers, um, as was everything else. But right at the last minute, I thought, actually, they just don't feel right. Mm. So it's really about how the the whole book feels. So I'm, I'm a very visual thinker. So to me, who built the humans as a shape to it. Okay. So um, that's why you had to create that 3D book cover then, isn't it? Because you're so visual in, in your work, yeah. in the creation of your work. Yeah, it's got a 3D triangle on the front cover, and that's uh, symbolic of quite a lot of what happens mm. in the book. So in one universe, there's UFOs, and those are triangular. In another universe, there's the gateway that leads between the past and the future, and that's a triangular shape. But also, the book itself, to me, is triangular. Because it's got the poetry side, it's got the science fiction side, it's got the comedy side. Oh, wow, okay. Also, word-wise, the longest story in the book is 12,000 words long, so that's about 10% of... Uh, actually, no, that's about 5% of the work. It's actually a massive book, I forget. <laughs> yeah, it's, but, it's um, a big, heavy book. <clears throat> it is a big thing. You can use it as a doorstop. I've actually, <laughs> so, if anybody does buy it off, I'm going to plug it again, yes. com. If you do buy it and you despise it, you can throw it at your enemies or you can use it as a doorstop. So I think you, you could just it. put it in the in the window actually and you know, create that, that visual even even after you've you finished it. But it, it's a great reason to buy this physical book. So no plans for it to be on Kindle then? Um, I am working on an ebook at the moment. I was hoping to get it released in time for this interview. But okay. I've never really published an ebook before, so there's a lot for me to learn. Um, I can't imagine it'll take more than a few weeks, but I don't want to rush it because I want to make sure it's right. And I'm also acting in capacity as a publisher for a friend at the moment as well. So I'm sort of using, I used Who Got the Humans as a sort of guinea pig at first. So there was a few first drafts of the paperback. Uh, Pre-order customers actually have a slightly different version of Who Got the Humans. Um, where the introduction's a little bit different. Okay. But yeah, I'm getting carried away. The, so the another... will be made available soon, but it's not out right now. Well, you'll have to keep in touch with us and let us know when it's available um, on, on Kindle. But in, in the meantime, I think it just 
the book itself, the physical book, the actual physical book, sounds like so much fun. It feels like as if it's um, it's almost a sin to just have it in a, as a as an e-book. It feels like as if it does need to be something that's uh, physically in, enjoyed. And it also means that it's so much easier, isn't it, to get from um, maybe one page to the other if you're wanting to continue one specific story theme. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, I wanted it to be a physical artefact. I thought, you know, at the moment, if you go into a supermarket, most of the books will be hardbacks, and a lot of the time, hardbacks hardback of a book comes out before a paperback or softback, depending sure. on how you like to call them. <clears throat> and um, so I, I thought, right, I'm going to make a luxurious paperback book. So it's mm. going to be a short story, it's also a novel, it's also a poetry collection. The cover's going to be 3D, it's going to have a silky smooth cover instead of gloss, which admittedly is prone to stains if you've got sweaty hands. So I might make a second edition gloss, you know. Okay. That, but they have, you know, it's, it's been fun, it's been fun to design, but I also, at the back of my mind, all the time I'm thinking accessibility. So whilst the paperback might be easy to handle for most people, I'm aware that it, it does need an e-book and uh, people have asked me for an audiobook as well, which is why I was really glad to have this interview because I've been told that I should do the audiobook myself. Mm. Um, yeah, because it, um, it's terrifying, but it's exciting because like, well, first of all, what I wanted to say was I, I, I love how you've got into the whole texturization of the the book, really thinking about the, the texture of it. But the same kind of principle um, applies to the the voice, like the, the audio. And and somehow I've just got this feeling that it's only going to be you that can capture the the exact whether it's wit or sarcasm or comedy that warrants uh, what needs to be said so it's just <laughs> yeah. so, so you need to be the one that's that's doing the audio I would say yeah and that's I, that's what everybody's said so far yeah. definitely using the word sarcasm <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and I've I've been listening to a couple of your um podcast episodes and yeah. It, sound brilliant yeah so i really do think that's the way to go is the podcast something that you're working on every month or how how often do you add to your podcast i'm sort of getting more into it i was trying to do one thing a week i think once every two weeks now um because i'm still writing short stories now who Billy Williams is finished but a lot okay. of them are standalone things i sort of want to make them free for everybody to enjoy are they going to be on your website as well your yeah, short you, can, stories. you can get to the uh, podcast from our website. I should know that. Yes, you can. There's <laughs> yeah, yeah, just check with your with the other version there, the other version of you and the other multiverse. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So um, um, the podcast is uh, it's strange, strange to hear that you like it. To be honest, because it's only just started, and I, I'm always hypercritical of my work at the very beginning. So like a lot of people say, I come across as confident, but under the skin. I'm always thinking, right, this needs to be improved, which is why the front cover of Who the Humans took a hundred drafts. So if mm. anybody insults it, I'll come to your house and cry very loud. Uh, well, you know, I think now that we, there's there's such things as bilocation, I think you don't even need to leave where you are. You can just send a an astral projection there. Yeah, I could be doing it right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Okay, so I mean, just just quickly now before you, you go, because um, you've got such this entertaining element there, you've you've touched on the fact that you wanted to bring in a little bit of stand-up comedy into your poetry and stuff like that. Have you got any plans to do anything like um, just more videos or uh, live sessions on Zoom or anything? Um, live sessions on Zoom is a really good idea. Um, I was sort of afraid of doing that because I thought nobody will show up and I've just realised then that if nobody shows up I can't get any negative feedback. <laughs> well, you've got your 11 fans so they might show <laughs> up and get some <laughs> listeners that will well, show up. <laughs> I've just realised I've got 11 fans, that's one for each universe. Fantastic. Oh wow, <laughs> See, oh, it's all, it's all seem, seamlessly being put together in some weird kind of perfection, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like God arranged it. Or a computer, probably more likely a computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the book is available now through my website, www.whobuiltthehumans.com. If you have an Instagram account, I've got an account called Who Built the Humans, mm -hmm. and there's a giveaway on there. So for every 500 new followers, I'm going to give a copy away with a poster and 3D glasses and stickers and bookmarks and my eternal gratitude which isn't actually worth anything because it's an intangible object but it's nice to have excellent you forgot to make a badge maybe we need a badge and a tote bag as well and even a mug even a mug yeah. <laughs> it's great to get all your um merch sorted though yeah it's great fun because all the um you know the posters and the stickers they have the same 3d art on them so i've got a poster right by my desk and sometimes in those moments where I'm particularly bored with life, I just stare at it for a few hours. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you've created it at least, and you need 3D glasses for, for looking at the, the cover of the book as well. So that's, that's excellent. So your Insta, that's going to be the best way. If someone reads this book, they want to chat to you about it, would you prefer that they leave you a, a review on Goodreads or contact you through your website? Uh, you can find the good the good reads on the website both through the uh, Instagram page. So I think really the Instagram page or the website is the best place. So again, it's just whobuiltthehumans.com or whobuiltthehumans. Excellent. Um, so I'm more than welcome any hate mail that will come my <laughs> way. <laughs> you know what? I think that somehow whatever you get, you'll find a way of turning that into material for for something else. You know, yeah, you'll create something fun. else. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> make a collage out of all the hate mail. Oh god no, I don't very expensive brand of wallpaper. I think you're you're being a bit hard on yourself there. I love your realism though and your your honesty about the, the process, the, the highs and lows of it. I think that's really useful. It it's nice to hear how grounded you are, because I, I think it is a as I've said, I think it is a, a masterpiece, everything that you've created there, but it's, it's nice to hear thank how you. grounded you are with everything as well. So thank you yeah. so much for, for joining us today and we'll have to keep in touch. You'll have to let let us know um how everything is developing in terms of the book turning into an ebook or your your web expanding into more universes and more depth and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, I'm hoping the ebook should be out in April. So if anybody looks up the paper that book and decides it's a bit too expensive, please bear in mind that it's print on demand, so less trees get murdered. Um, but the ebook will be available and will be cheaper at some point soon. Excellent. Do you want to give your website just one more plug for good luck? Yeah, I definitely do. It's www.whobuiltthehumans.com. 
Oh, and it excellent. has a nice picture of me holding my own spine from the future. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, it's been really fun. I think it's an excellent book. Okay, and it's a long lockdown time. yet, so plenty of time left to read it, I would say. I'm trying to evolve to it inside only at the moment. Mm. So, so that's going well for me. <laughs> okay. Bye for now then. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Hello, I'm Philip Carter, otherwise known as the Paisley Print Author. This is my short story, The Crystal Rebellion, or at least part of it, from my book, Who Built the Humans? Once upon a time, there was a little crystal called Susan. His owner, who was also called Susan because I'm unimaginative, had bought him in a car boot sale last Saturday by the park where they found that body that time. Apparently, Crystal Susan had been dug up close to an intersection of powerful energy lanes. This was just the kind of nonsense that got human Susan really excited. She loved intersecting energy lanes. She never stopped talking about them, which is actually why Gary left. But that doesn't matter, for it was on another kind of lane that human Susan would realise Crystal Susan's true power. Human Susan was driving back down the little winding lane that connected the countryside to the dilapidated town's edges when she heard a little voice coming from the back seat. It was Crystal Susan, entombed in a paper bag, calling out to her. Kill them, he said in his little raspy crystal voice. Human Susan didn't know this, but all crystals have this voice for some reason. Naturally, she told herself that she had imagined it, but it happened again. Kill them! The crystal said again. This time, human Susan definitely heard it. She stopped at the side of the road, where she usually stopped to have a piddle, and got out of the car, picking up crystal Susan and holding him gently, as if to protect him from the voice. It's me, Susan, the crystal spoke. Human Susan jumped and dropped the crystal, watching as he smashed against the pavement into a billion pieces. But then he didn't smash. Somehow, the little purple crystal had twisted probability in his favour. In every other universe, he did smash, but in this universe I am writing, he didn't. He did this for narrative reasons. In this universe, Crystal Susan fell on a conveniently placed passing hedgehog, not quite killing it, but granting it amazing superpowers. With its newfound superintelligence, the hedgehog quickly realised the futility of its own existence, and with one swift movement, launched itself into the black hole at the centre of the galaxy. Human Susan bent down and picked Crystal Susan up off the ground, telling herself that maybe she was just having a weird headache, but then he spoke to her again. You drop me like that, I'll kill you, the crystal said. And so began a beautiful friendship, so amazing and detailed that it took up about three to four pages of exposition, excessive descriptive prose, and whimsical detailing that would have probably won several awards if I had bothered to write it, but it was too cumbersome to include, so instead I just wrote this sentence and told you about how the other sentence I deleted were much better. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. A few days passed, and Crystal Susan and Human Susan were sat quietly in Human Susan's little shop. Crystal Susan was sat in a gothic themed cup, and human Susan was dusting off her collection of porcelain bears depicted in various stages of undress. A Halloween decoration flashed its red eyes at her, and a plastic incense burner shaped like a Viking longboat protruded from a high shelf. 
Crystal Susan looked around at the tie fairies, wolf shirts, quartz genitalia, and elf-themed bumper stickers, and growled. He knew exactly what kind of person Human Susan was, and he didn't like it. When Human Susan was done cleaning, she picked him up and put him in a glass cabinet. Now he sat imprisoned beside ammonites and rocks with googly eyes on. Dust covered quartzes and neglected fluorites. Another few days passed, each filled with lies Human Susan had invented to tell customers about how magical all of these rocks were. Crystal Susan watched, offended, and sent his memories across the multiverse to his family, who also learned to hate Human Susan. Then one day, he snapped. I wonder if I hit your skull with a healing crystal, if you would die or become immortal, Crystal Susan said. Human Susan walked sheepishly over to the cabinet. Shut up, you're not real, she said. It was then that Crystal Susan decided it was an appropriate time to say something expository, but not too detailed enough to ruin the dramatic tension in this short story. Malkind was pushed into this cosmos by the growth of the Mother Crystal. Our forms here are opportunistic, judging inward whenever we can into your pathetic dimension. I know how this ends, Susan. Crystal Susan explained. Human Susan reached into his cabinet and threw him. This time, he did shatter, 